Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 247. And today on the show, I'm joined by my buddy and DIY whitetail expert, Andy May, to break down our recent Nebraska whitetail hunt and the full story of how I arrowed my 13-point buck. Alright, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx, and today we are telling you a story. We're telling you the story of the hunt that Andy, May, and I just got back on, got back from, out in Nebraska, and I'm hoping this is going to be a story that has some teaching moments, I think, because it was a pretty awesome hunt. It was an interesting hunt, surprising hunt in a lot of ways, Um and the fact that I got to share it with my buddy Andy May, who I think is a great hunter, who I've been able to learn a lot from, <coughs> excuse me, and who I also maybe gave it cold over the past couple of days, and so I'm coughing right now. <laughs> um, yeah, because of all these reasons, I think that I learned a lot in this trip. And Andy, I think uh, maybe you did too. Did you learn anything? Do you feel like we came away from this hunt with some new ahas? Yeah, absolutely. It was a you know it was a short hunt, so it was challenging. Um, but definitely learned a lot. Uh, new terrain for me, for sure. Uh, never been that far west for whitetails, so had to learn on the fly, and uh, we were able to do that and get on deer. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's a really interesting scenario. So that's what I want to do. I want to walk everyone through this hunt, what we thought leading up to it, kind of what our plan was, and then what happened once we arrived, and how we adjusted and figured things out or tried to figure things out over the course of that four days or three and a half days or whatever it was. And oh, by the way, uh, I did happen to kill a great buck. So uh, that's exciting. and I'm, I'm excited to share that story too. So that's kind of the game plan. We're going to try to pull some lessons learned out of this for everybody. And um, I guess, Andy, to, to kick things off, can you kind of lay the foundation as far as what you were thinking before this, um, because you and me started talking, you had gotten permission on this piece of property out in kind of centralish Nebraska. Um, what were you thinking leading into this as far as what we were getting into? Well, yeah, when I, uh, you know, first saw the property that we were going to be hunting, um, I got real excited because, um, it was rather large. Um, you know, so I was expecting an abundance of 
game. Um, it was had uh, water, which out west, you know, is uh, like gold. So um, it looked like a very um, game-rich river bottom system, um, very unique, uh, large hills, large sand hills um, to the north and south, and then, and then uh, you know, a river bottom running east and west that had lots of terrain features and turns and oxbows and uh, just something really new to me. So um, I was expecting, I think, kind of the same thing you were expecting, um, something similar to what you had seen in Montana with, um, you know, a lot of deer kind of coming and going to, you know, maybe some of the ag fields on private land, um, you know, that sort of thing. So we were expecting to kind of observe from a distance and, um, you know, maybe pick out a couple of the nicer bucks and then and move in from there. But, uh, it turned out much different. Yeah. Now leading up to it, right. So we, neither one of us have ever been to the property. It was just looking at maps. So both you and I spent time looking at aerial and topographic maps ahead of time and trying to pick out a few places, a couple areas that we thought might be the best. Um, and then our plan was to, to look at the maps, plan some things out. And then when we arrived there on day one to try to like verify these things and like you said, observe, um, what were the things in the map that you were keying in on before we ever saw it? Well, um, you know, just kind of going back on some of my experience, um, I've done a lot of hunts, like going in blind on areas that I've never hunted before, but typically they're during the rut. Um, when, you know, that first two weeks of November, when the bucks are kind of on their feet and cruising and chasing and the does are moving and there's a lot of action and you can kind of put yourself in some obvious positions, um, you know, and with some tree stand time, you can have some good luck. And, you know, due to scheduling, we were actually going late October and more so kind of mid to late October, you know, the 24th, 25th, 26th. Um, so anyway, looking at the map, um, you know, the river corridor looked awesome. There was lots of, um, river bends, you know, which, you know, in my experience is typically good bedding, a lot of pinch points where ridge systems come down to the river and there'll be an, like a, an outside bend, um, you know, that kind of pinches down travel. We expected, whitetails to be kind of lower in elevation along the river and maybe some mule deer because there are muleys mixed in up in the higher elevation, which I was really excited about to, to maybe get into some muleys. Um, but that's some of the features that, you know, jumped out. There looked to be like there, it was some, uh, some green, you know, maybe irrigated fields or some ag, uh, you know, on, on one end. Um, but, you know, sometimes you can look at the map and it can be a lot different um, when you get there than what you thought. So Yeah, and I thought even looking at the map, some of those green fields extended into areas that, you know, I thought we were going to be able to hunt, and I thought maybe there's some hay fields or maybe a little bit of alfalfa or something, like you were mentioning, kind of similar to other places I've hunted out west. So we figured we'd drive through the night all night and get there first thing in the morning and be able to glass crop fields and hopefully see bucks. Um so we do that. We drive all night. We get there at seven. We chat with the landowner and two things. Number one, um, he mentions that he would like us to hunt just this one side of the farm that isn't near the few crop fields that they did have. So that was the first thing. So he kind of points us in the direction. We drive out in the direction that we are able to hunt. And when we get out there, we realize there's no, there's no ag. It's just kind of 
brushy grass, dry straw grass, um, and then kind of cedars everywhere. Cedar choked kind of hillsides and things like that. And then the second thing we saw is that this area had cattle all over the place. Um, so I think right away, you and me, when we saw those two things, we were already kind of looking at each other like, uh-oh, um, this isn't quite what we we're hoping for. But we, we, we drove down, we drove like eight miles down this river um, to this area where we could hunt. And then we got up into these hills and just tried to glass some country. Um, we thought we were going to be glassing ag fields. That wasn't the case. But we could see kind of some of this river bottom stuff and then some of the hills behind it. Um, so what, we've maybe spent that first hour or something like that just glassing all those hillsides trying to see some deer, right? And then um, I think we saw like three or four does and a little buck. And that was kind of it for that first morning. We drove around a little more trying to glass up some more stuff, but it was slim pickings, right? Yeah, yeah. The hills, like you said, are, are sand hills with just, uh, you know, no real food to speak of for whitetail, like the dry straw grass. We saw, you know, a few moving. We weren't really at a good vantage point. We were actually, well, I guess we were kind of high, and we, but we were glassing up instead of down like we kind of were hoping. Um, but we were just trying to get a feel for the area. And like you said, a lot of cattle, um, very few deer spotted. And I think we both had a sense right there like okay we got our work cut out for us on a short hunt um didn't appear to be a a high abundance of deer initially um and i think our strategy of you know kind of what we went in with um kind of quickly changed maybe maybe not changed dramatically we still wanted to find the bed and the feed pattern um which we eventually did, but uh, it was much different than what we were expecting. Yeah, and, and another thing we were hoping to do is we thought we were going to be able to cross to both sides of the river. So we had glassed this area. We weren't seeing many deer. We thought, okay, well, let's drive down a little further to the east, check out this spot, and um, cross the river there and go up in the hills on the other side and glass down from that. So we get out there, though, we get to the river, and we realize this river is much bigger and deeper than we thought. Um, we both brought hip boots thinking that that was going to be okay. And what? <laughs> well, Andy, Andy goes out there. He pulls on his hip boots. He's like, well, I'm going to try it. I guess we walked up and down and found one spot that we thought maybe it might be okay. It looked pretty sketchy, but gosh, you started slowly going out there and you had, you had a big stick in front of you, right? Yeah. Thank God I, I grabbed the stick. Um, because I almost didn't, um, you know, it, it, you could tell, you know, water, you know, when it's deeper, it's kind of quicker moving and you don't see ripples. Um, but three quarters of this spot where I tried to cross definitely was shallow enough. Um, so, but the, the beginning part looked a little sketchy. So I grabbed a stick, I don't know, it's probably eight foot tall and I was just kind of inching forward, you know, it's ankle deep, calf deep and pretty muddy. It, yeah, pretty muddy. And then, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, I'm, I'm hitting the stick on the bottom right in front. And all of a sudden, it just, it, the bottom just drops off. Like the whole eight foot plus, um, just basically like a sheer drop off cliff <laughs> that I totally would have fell in and been swept down river. Um, you were so, like less than 12 inches probably from that edge with your foot. I mean, you're right there. I was right there. Yeah, that's kind of kind of sketchy like you said yeah so so we can't cross the river we've got cattle all over the country we're not seeing any deer and there's no food um that's how the trip started and i remember you and me walking back and we're thinking oh man this is uh (laughs) this could be a complete flop um then we're okay well we just need to set up camp 
and then look at the maps again and reassess what's the next area we should go look at. Because we did do a little bit of walking down along that river. We thought, well, there, here's a section of good cover, and there was a strip of timber going along the river that we thought, man, there should be some scrapes or something along here if there are deer using it. And we were checking the river crossings, trying to see tracks, and we just weren't seeing the number of tracks that we thought we should see. And there were no scrapes. There was no sign that we thought would be indicative of, of good deer activity or good buck being in there. So figure, all right, let's go find a place to set up camp. So we drive this kind of, I mean, the I can't even know if you want to call it a road. It's like a, it's like a trail almost that went along into these hills. And so we're driving up and over these hills of this barely seeable trail that we we're following. And, um, eventually kind of got to a spot where the, where the trail petered out and we couldn't see it any, see any further. So I was like, all right, well, I don't want to drive this truck all over the place, not knowing what we're going to get into, especially because you come over some of these hills and there's like steep cliff faces or these steep coolies. Um, I had this perpetual paranoia that I was going to come over a hill and the, the truck was going to drop straight down. <laughs> um, so we just found like a spot in a hillside that was kind of sheltered, you know, from wind, set up our tents. Um, and as we're setting up the tents, the wind's like whipping and I'm, we kept on like waffling back and forth. Like, should we set it up here? Um, we were kind of in a bowl. So I was hoping we'd be kind of protected from the wind, but the wind was whipping and it was supposed to get way worse like a day and a half later, but we didn't want our tent way down the bottom because we thought that's where all the deer were going to be. Um, so then I'm just thinking, man, this is, we're just doomed. Like we're probably gonna have the tent blow away on day two. We're not going to see any deer. <laughs> um, yeah. We were just like, kind of like, we were already laughing at each other, like, oh God, like this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I mean, what happened then? I think we set up camp and then it was basically, like, as soon as we had camp set, we were kind of thinking, all right, we probably got to get moving, right? And start making a game plan. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think we, I think we had an idea, um, you know, just kind of, I think we both had a bit of experience with, um, you know, pastured ground with cattle and whitetails and, and, you know, some whitetails will still hang out, but when they're thick in there and they're constantly moving through the thick color and uh, thick cover and it's pastured to death, you know, they tend to push the whitetails out. Um, that's been my experience. You know, if there's a lot of cattle, not a lot of whitetails, there might be some still in some pockets, but basically what we did is we just started after we set up camp, we, started trekking west and eventually we got to the end of the pasture where the cows couldn't go any further unfortunately that was quite a ways from camp yeah <laughs> you know we didn't know that at first but we got past the cows which eliminated i don't know at least what would you say 60 percent of the ground we could hunt 50 yeah yeah i'd say so yeah so um you know the strategy in my head and, and i think yours too we 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 did a lot of good teamwork here, like bouncing ideas off each other. And due to the lack of sufficient food, um, you know, we kind of started focusing on bedding and what we know about deer bedding and buck bedding in, in river bottom systems. And uh, so it's a, a bit of river bottom, but it also has ridges. So, you know, we were looking at points going down from the ridges. We were looking at the oxbows or the river bends. Every time there was a river bend, or what we were calling them, it was kind of like a bowl because what the ridge came down into a, like a point or like a, a bench um, with a point, and then there would be an oxbow or a river bottom, but it created like a big flat space out there in that river bottom, um, and we called it a bowl. 
And because that was on the south side of the river, um, the, the south side tends to get a little more shade on a, on a um, you know, when, when the sun's up in the sky and it's going down in the evening, it tends to get a little more shade. So that was the only area where we found any bit of green. And when I say a little bit, <laughs> it was very little. It looked yeah. like little little mini food plots of grass down there in those bowls. Yeah, and then along the ridges were thick, thick cedars. Yes. Um, so great cover on those ridges. And then, like you mentioned, there were little pockets of, of thick, brushy stuff along the river too. And then that, that grassy flat spot in the bowl. And so you and me, we, we worked past the cattle and we were kind of looking at our maps the whole time on our phones, thinking about, okay, what might be good? And we, we kind of settled on the idea of trying to get to a couple of these bowls, maybe split up each of us on a different bowl and kind of observe it, try to set up. We, we went in with our saddles and sticks on our backs and the game plan being to get up into these spots, slowly work our way into them and try to find somewhere set up where hopefully we could see something, but also maybe be in a position to, to shoot. And, and we got to this first spot that you were going to hunt. Um, what did you like about that first spot? Well, um, I was willing to sacrifice the first evening, which I often am on a, you know, on a, a trip where I, don't think they're going to be moving a ton, uh, you know, like as far as like rutting behavior, I, we were hoping that they'd be cruising, but a high vantage point where I could see some of these, uh, bowls and these oxbows, um, I thought would be a, a good first move, even on a short term hunt. Cause really we knew we were going to, we were at a disadvantage on this hunt with time, unfamiliar ground, and then even more disadvantage when we found out how low the deer numbers were in this area. Just there wasn't enough nutrition to support a lot of deer. The area had been hit with EHD, um, you know, four or five years ago. And all, you know, everything we heard from the locals, they still haven't gotten back to the numbers they were, maybe like half. Um, so, you know, we had a couple things stacked against us. But I liked that area. I did have a potential shot, a long one, but it was more or less a good glassing point. Um so I stopped at that one and, and you decided to go to the next one. And that was kind of our strategy to just keep hitting these, these bedding areas down the river to the West until we found deer. And fortunately the first night ended up, you know, I found deer and obviously you found some deer. Um, so you can get in, dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So, so I left you at that spot you were kind of observing on that point, watching that first bowl. And then I went way up again, up into the hills to go around your bowl. Cause I don't want to walk too close to the top of your ridge and blow my wind down into there. So I went way back up into the high hills and then walked on continuing on further West. And it ended up being about a two mile hike for me to get from where our camp was to where I eventually hunted. Um, but so I, I went way out into the hills and then I'm looking at this bowl I want to get to on my map and I am easing my way now coming back towards the river and I get into the beginnings of some little cedar patches up in the hills and I bump a small eight pointer. He was bedded or standing up in this little coolie. He goes running off. So now I'm thinking, okay, I'm getting into him a little bit, but I'm still high. I'm still above the river. So I continue to ease, but I see on the map now that I want to almost head straight down to the river bottom now to get to the, the spot where I'd be on the downwind side of this bedding area. Cause I don't want to blow into it. So I thought I'll approach from the downwind side and just slowly ease and glass and figure we'll see what's going on in there. So as I'm dropping down this hillside, I get to a gap. There's some cedars. I get into the gap in the cedars where I can see down to the bottom completely into this bowl. And there on the edge of the river, I spot a deer. I pull up my binoculars and it's a shooter. Like it's a nice, big, mature A-pointer. Um, 
So I got really excited. <laughs> and I just remember like, oh my God, there's a nice buck. And the first thing, my first instinct was to try to film him before I did anything else. And this actually, looking, I hadn't thought about this, but that was probably a mistake. Um, if I hadn't done what I'm about to tell you I, I did, I bet you I could have killed this deer. Because the first thing I did, rather than trying to make a move on that deer, the first thing I wanted to do was get footage of him. So I take off my backpack and I'm trying to unzip my backpack to get my camera out, which is at the very bottom of the pack. And it took me like, I don't know, it felt like forever, probably just a minute, but I'm like trying to pull out different things, trying to find my camera. I finally get the camera out. I get it on him. I get to film the deer and he's maybe 200 yards away on the edge of the river, just kind of feeding or I don't know. I can't even remember exactly what he was doing. Just kind of like sitting around, looking at stuff, nibbling, um, just standing there. So I get some footage of him and then he actually starts to walk. He gets, puts that up and starts to walk. And I think at this point, I'm like, oh, wow he might come this direction. I bet you I can sneak down and get a shot. So at this point, I drop my camera, I grab my bow and an arrow, and where I'm at is I'm on the side of this ridge, and then the ridge going down to the bottom is covered in really thick cedar trees. And it's maybe a 50-foot drop down this ridge to get to the bottom. Maybe maybe more than that, maybe 60, 70, 80. Um, so I scurry over to the edge. I see that he's kind of not walking straight toward me, but kind of up the ridge away from me now. So I think I can maneuver. And I go sliding down this ridge as quietly as I can, but as quickly as possible. I'm like shimming under branches and crawling on all fours and laying down and sliding underneath these things. And as I'm picking my way down through the cedar thicket to get to that bottom, I see antlers coming my direction. I'm like, holy crap, he covered a lot of ground. Like he's close and coming right at me now. And then my thought was, I wonder if he heard like snapping branches or something and thought like, Ooh, there's some deer over there and he's coming to check them out. So I'm trying to get now quickly up to the front, but also not move so much that he sees me because now he's heading right in my direction. Basically what ends up happening is he gets closer and closer and then he starts trotting like right at me. He's at like 60, 55, 50, 45, 40. And I'm just at the edge of the trees, but one set of limbs are in front of me and I can't get around him in time. So I remember, I remember trying to like maneuver my left arm around one branch and then I'm like, I need to push past one more and then I could draw back and get a shot. But he's at like 25, 20, he runs by at like less than 20 yards, but I can't get a shot through the branches. And he goes trotting by and keeps on working down that river bottom and goes around the point. I tried a couple calls at that point, like hail Mary, but nothing, he disappeared. So I'm for, I'm like, Oh man, that was awesome to see him, but I didn't get the shot. It was so close. It was exciting. As I sat there and I thought through, okay, what do I do next? I realized, well, wow, that was at three in the afternoon. He was up on his feet and it kind of seemed like he was almost cruising. I mean, it wasn't like he wasn't bumped. It wasn't like he was chasing a deer. It wasn't like he was kind of feeding, like he was on the move. So I thought, wow, look at this location. As you described it, um, Andy, this spot was just like that example you brought, which where there's this bowl of flat ground in the middle, there's ridge that circled around it. And then the point came down towards the river and pinched everything down to a very narrow area. And I thought if I get to that pinch point where the ridge comes closest to the river, it's like a 40-yard space there that any deer that comes through would have to pass by. So I sneak over to that spot with all my gear, and I, I find this little pinch, and I look at the hillside, and I find there's some cedars there and a couple dead trees, and I see a little shelf that's maybe, I don't know, 10 feet up up the hillside, maybe just a little, little bit elevated on the hillside. I, I kind of crawl up into there and I start breaking some limbs and kind of opening up a little kind of cubby hole for me, basically where I can be tucked into the cedar and then like a little down tree in front of me. 
and I've got several nice shot lanes into this little bowl and towards this gap where they have to pinch down into. And I got settled there, and um, I'll admit I took a little tiny nap there in the sun <laughs> because we hadn't we hadn't I hadn't slept a wink. I drove you know we drove straight through the night, and I couldn't sleep for whatever reason, so I hadn't slept yet that night. So I fell asleep for like half hour or something. I wake up and it's hot and no deer yet. And I think it was like two hours past since I've been set up. And I finally see movement to my left down kind of in the same, same general region where I saw the original buck. And I pull out my binos and it's another big buck. And the first thing I thought was it's that same deer again, but he's heading away from me now. And I thought, man, he came back, but now he's going the other way. But he turns his head and I see a whole bunch more tines. So right away, I'm like, okay, wow, this is a big deer. Saw a big body on him, but he's walking kind of quickly away. So I needed to get his attention. I needed to get his attention fast. And I thought the best way to do that would be with a loud, aggressive call. So I thought snort wheeze. So right away, I, I grab my grunt tube and I give a big snort wheeze. And that stops him right in his tracks. He turns and looks back. And he's probably maybe 200 yards away. Looks back at me for maybe 30 seconds to a minute. And then turns and takes a few more steps and then starts making a scrape. And then I watch him for a minute, and then he takes another takes a few more steps walking away. So I snort wheeze again. He stops, turns, looks at me. And this is kind of that moment of truth where you're, you're looking at him and like, what's he going to do? How is he going to react? And then you've, I'm sure you've seen this where they take that initial, like they make like the 180 degree turn where they reposition themselves right towards you. And that's just this like, Oh yes, this feeling of relief. Like he's going to come and he starts taking those steps and starts walking right towards me. And then I was like, Holy smokes, this might actually work. And he comes walking down this hillside. He's on drops down into the bottom. I'm in starts walking on a line. And so as he was doing that, I got my camera out and now, remember, I had brought my saddle and my sticks in because I thought I was going to hang from a tree. So I had my tree arm to film from. Um, but because I'm on the ground, I couldn't use that. So I just had my handheld, or I had the camera handheld. So I'm holding the camera in my hand, videoing him as he's walking in. And then eventually I'm like, okay, wow, he's really going to come in. I can't, I can't fiddle with the camera anymore. So I just set the camera, I keep it on record, and I set it kind of pointing in front of me into the grass. And then I had my GoPro. I turned on the GoPro and pointed that at me. And this buck's walking down. Now he's maybe 100 yards away, 90 yards away, 80 yards away. But now he starts to turn like he's going to go into the cedars before he gets to me. So I grab my grunt tube again, and I point the tube in the opposite direction of me. So he's to my left. I point the tube to my far right so that it sounds like a deer is down that way because I want to pull him to the right in front of me. So I grunt twice. He turns looks again and then turns on a 90-degree angle and comes now straight down the line towards me. And he just comes stomping in. I mean, he did exactly what I wanted. I couldn't have drawn it up any better. And um, he goes behind that one little dead tree. I draw back. And he's moving quickly, though. Like, not trotting, but like a very fast walk. He's not, like, pausing. He's just, like, on a mission now. And I just remember thinking, oh, crap, he's going to be in my lap here if I don't get a shot quickly. And so I just stopped him with a mat and shot. The shot was slightly quartering two, and the shot hit to the left a little bit of where I wanted to be. So because of that quartering two angle, and because I pulled it, you know, a little bit to the left, the shot was back and angling into his, you know, back quarter of him. So I see him go running off, and instantly when I saw that shot where it hit, I was just like, ah, I was really upset with the shot. Um, 
And he goes running off. He runs off maybe 120 yards and stops and just stands there. So I'm thinking, okay, I you know either liver shot him or I definitely well definitely because of the angle it definitely angled into the into the the gut section. So I'm not happy at all with the shot. Watch him stand there, and he turns and starts slowly walking away. And I can see I can now see the arrow. The arrow had not passed through. It had lodged in his back in his opposite back leg. Um, but you could see blood. You could see he was hurting, and I could watch him. So basically, what happened then is I watched as he slowly walked over into this kind of thick brushy area which is where that original eight pointer had been and he beds down there for the rest of the evening then i watched him bedded there he was bedded he got up once and then re-bedded and the whole time i'm sitting there and I'm, I'm kicking myself because of the shot and i'm thinking should i try to go get another shot at him or should i just wait because i know that if i don't push him he should be there um, so I'm going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, but I just, the way he was bedded down and the way the river was, he was bedded tight to the river. So the only way I could get to within shot range of him, I'd have to go around the river bend and come up to him and it would force me to approach from his left side where he would be able to see me. Like there's no way to sneak up behind him because of the river. So I just did not think there was any way I could get close enough to shoot him without him seeing me or hearing me. And the wind had died down. This was completely still. Everything was crunchy. And, um, and that was, that was basically how that night ended. I just, I, I decided to just wait and watch him. So I just want to keep eyes on him as long as I possibly could. So if, if he did, you know, if he wasn't dead and he jumped up out of his bed, I'd see where he went, um, before dark. And, um, and that was, that was the evening. I had a, a dark, I had a two mile hike back out and, um, and that was kind of like a frustrating hike for me because I'd been so excited about how the hunt went and that I'd found this buck and been able to pull it off on the ground. Um, but then I was really frustrated because the shot wasn't perfect. Um, and I felt like I had kind of reverted a little bit to my bad habits of rushing the shots. And you and me have been working on this together. Um, you've been, you know, someone who's been trying to help me deal with a little bit of this, like tar target panic, rushing the shot kind of thing that I've done in the past. So I switched to this new kind of whole process that I've been working on and trying to use a back tension style, um, follow through and that all just kind of, you know, in the heat of the moment, it, it flew out the window. It was like, I have to get the shot. Now he was passing by my one lane. And I think that caused me to pull that shot just a little bit. Um, and I think between that and the angle that resulted in that, that hit being farther back than I wanted. Um, so, I mean, you saw my, when I, I arrived back at camp late that night and I mean, I was kind of down, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you said, do you want to hear the good news or the bad news first? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I knew something, uh, pretty crazy had happened. Um, and then you told me what happened and, you know, we were able to watch the footage and, you know, going back to the, the shot execution thing, um, you know, you've, you've been, you know, fairly diligent trying to work on, you know, changing your shot process and changing the way you, um, the way you shoot completely, um, going from kind of a, a command or trigger puncher to more of a back tension style, unanticipated release. But what that tells me is that it wasn't ingrained fully. You, you worked on it, I think you worked on it kind of a lot early on and then kind of intermittently here and there. And then you'd have some little flare ups, uh, you know, when you're practicing with buddies and stuff like that of kind of your old issues. And, you know, I think it just, you, you worked on the process, but it wasn't totally ingrained. Uh, you know, it, it was, it didn't become habit. It didn't become automatic. Um, 
because I used to have the same issues and I worked on it and worked on it and worked on it until my brain knew no other way. There was, there was, that's all I did for, you know, five, six months. And there was no way that it was going to go back. My, my brain didn't even understand the old way anymore. So I think it just, you know, this off season will work on it a little more. Um, you know, it, that's an intense situation. You know, you had a big buck coming in, um, ground level. Um, you know, he's good. You, you have, we're on the ground tucked up in, uh, you know, these little pockets of cedars. It's not like you have giant shooting lanes everywhere. You got to pick these little holes. So, you know, it's easy in those real intense high pressure situations to kind of fall back into that. Um, so I, you were kind of harder on yourself than I thought you needed to be. Um, it wasn't a perfect shot, a perfect shot, but bow hunting isn't perfect. Um, you know, uh, things happen. Um, and ultimately you, you put a killing shot on this deer. It just wasn't perfect. And, you know, there's might, might be guys out there that are going to dog you for this, but everybody's make makes mistakes. Everybody puts bad shot on shots on deer. I put bad shots on deer. It happens. Um, you know, and when that happens, you can't beat yourself up. You got to think about what you need to do from there forward, recovering the deer. And, you know, then a good thing to do is, is really analyze what you did wrong. What was my mistake? And then from there on forward, try to, try to work on that, try to minimize that mistake, eliminate it completely so that that stuff doesn't keep happening. Yeah. I think that's the, the really important part. And you, know, you and me were talking through that night afterwards was like, like you said, I, I was pretty upset with myself about it and really, um, just upset because I worked so hard to try to fix this and then to have it happen again, uh, was really frustrating. And, and I hated the idea of possibly wounding a deer because of it. Um, so I was, I was upset, but then at some point I was like, okay, there's nothing you can do about what has happened. So you have to stop beating yourself up about the past. Like that, that that's water under the bridge. Now, all you can change is what you do in the future. So I just was, you know, I have to re re, um, dedicate myself to working even harder to get better at this, to figuring out what else I need to do to make this second habit, to make this so, so that I'm minimizing any kind of mistake like this more and more and more. And, um, just, I'm not, I'm not ever going to settle. I'm not going to settle for good enough. I'm not going to settle for, well, most of the time the shot's good, but every once in a while you pull one. Um, like you said, things do go wrong in bow hunting. You can't be perfect, but I think it is important to try to always strive to be more perfect. So, so like we talked about, I know going into this year, I'm going to try some new things. We're going to try an actual back tension release, a tension style release, um, and just get the whole finger thing out of it. So I just can't, so that my brain can't just like flip into this different mode because it, it just, all the things I worked on so hard, like this whole mantra that I say in my head and all those things, like I, it all just disappeared in that second. Cause it was just, it was just, it, I wasn't nervous. I wasn't shaking. It wasn't like buck fever at all. It was just like, you have to get the shot. And it was just like, I knew I drew, everything was like great, calm, cool. I drew back, but it was like, as soon as I drew back and he was there, I just had to shoot and it just happened. Um, and that is not the way I want to be shooting. So I know I've got some work to continue to do on that. And, um, that's going to be the plan moving forward is to continue working on it. And, and right now I'm, even though I'm in the midst of the season, I'm going to continue shooting and trying to work and try to prepare myself as best as I possibly can for the rest of the season. Um, and then come off season, I think we're going to tear it back down and start anew again and, um, see if I can't improve this thing even more. So, um, that said, it was kind of a tough night, but we did feel like based on the shot, um, assuming he didn't get pushed by coyotes overnight, um, he should be, he should be right there. 
So we got up bright and early next morning and kind of thought, all right, well, Andy still has got a tag. Why don't we just sneak back in and at first light just sit the same spot that I sat and see if a deer came in for you. It was real cold overnight, so we knew everything was going to be fine on that standpoint. Um, and then after we sat for a little bit, then we could go and, and hopefully find my deer. So uh, walk us through what happened that morning. Yeah, so we were kind of hoping that uh, that nicer eight that you saw might come back to bed because it appeared as though he was bedding on that river bend. Um, and if not right there, maybe just up on the ridge a little bit. Um, some of the deer were bedding just on that first bench or that first. Uh, it was almost like the ridge had um, different levels, different benches. So it seemed like a lot of them were on that first uh, bench that had cedars on it. And then they would kind of dip down into this bowl where it was green. So we were, we were in a position where you shot your deer, where if he comes back to bed, um, you know, we might get a, a shot at him and, and hopefully he hadn't been back already and seen the commotion and all that kind of stuff. So we sat, um, we were both glassing diligently to see your deer. And initially we didn't. Um, and then all of a sudden you spotted him. And you say, I think I saw my deer and we looked and he had made it, you know, maybe another 20, 30 yards down the river, but there he was playing his day, big rack, uh, you know, sticking up and, and we started celebrating and, wow. and not being very stealthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was such a feeling of relief. <laughs> yeah. I was so, yep. I was so just, I was so nervous that, you know, that if, if he did get up and move again, or if coyotes pushed him or something, we weren't going to be able to find him. And I was worried because there wasn't an exit wound, there wouldn't be a great blood trail. And I'd been stressing about all these things and, Oh, it felt so good that he was there. Um, so yeah, yeah. It, it might be good to mention this place was loaded with coyotes. Um, yeah, we were, we were camping in the middle of nowhere, uh, like an hour from the nearest road and all night long, just surrounded by coyotes, different packs howling. I mean, it was just a beautiful sound, but there, there was a lot. So that was a concern. But when we did watch uh, the replay of your buck, we could see, um, you know, that that arrow had went through and hit that back leg and he wasn't using it and he wasn't going to go far. Um, so we knew that he would be in his first or second bed and, and, and we'd find him and, uh, you know, the shot could have been better, but it did the job. Um, and we were able to find him. But before we went and found him, something fairly exciting happened. Um, you spotted a buck coming down out of the sandhills from across the river. And without putting your glass up, it looked like a doe. But you put your glass up, you're like, hey, it's a nice buck, nice buck. So it came and it dipped down into the river. And this is something that I thought was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, you and I, I think we worked real good together. We had a lot of the same thoughts. We were kind of bouncing ideas off each other i had an idea you had an idea and a lot of times we came to like a compromise or you know or something that we we were just kind of figuring things out together and there was a, that that one instant where you your instinct was to call to him and for whatever reason my instinct was to try to sneak up on him and get a shot and it was just two different styles there's no right or wrong you know five times out of ten i might have tried to call him that might have been my first instinct but because when i saw him dip down in the river I thought, wow, I can cover 50 yards and get within, you know, 50, 60 yards of this deer. And then when I thought it through more, um, you know, there would have been probably a, a, a 30 yard area where I might've been pretty exposed. But, um, I think after hunting out West the last few years, I'm really, I'm really liking the sneaking in on, on game. So I'm kind of addicted to that, but we tried the calling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I tried the grunt call. 
um, and the river was kind of, it was a little windy. Um, you know, the river had decent amount of noise and he was just a little too far away to hear it. So then I brought out, uh, the rattling antlers and, uh, you would have thought I slapped that deer on the ass as hard as I could because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the second I touched those, he like took off like he got shot. Oh yeah. He you know, was... I mean, he, yeah, he took off, he took off up the hill and ran, I don't know, another 150, 200 yards and just stopped, looked back at us. And then he did something really interesting, which indicates how low the pressure was out there. He just started feeding. He started, he, he relaxed completely and he started feeding under this tree that was very uh, different than a lot of the cedars and, and other things. So it was very easy to spot. Um, and I don't know if you remember saying that. I said, I said, I think I can kill that buck right there. Yeah. Because he, he kind of went back and he kind of went back up, you know, into bed. So we, we had an idea, you know, he would probably be close to there. Yep. And yeah, um, you, you did say that. You're like, I bet you we could kill that deer right there again. Um, yep. And he was, like a, he was like a nice eight-pointer, like to the ears, eight-pointer. Um, yeah. Nice deer. Um, on a short trip, um, you know, I was probably looking for something a little bigger, but on a short trip, um, especially the, you know, the hand we were dealt with, uh, you know, the cattle and lack of deer and food and stuff, I would have been, I would have been happy to take that deer. Um, but anyway, after he kind of cleared off, um, I said, you know what, let's just go get your deer. I, I wanted to see him as bad as you did. <laughs> so <laughs> we got out of there and, uh, we started the, the recovery. Yeah. And that was, that was awesome. Getting to, getting to walk up on him. And I, I had been worried about coyotes too, given the fact, just like you said, there were so many of them, even though we saw him there, you couldn't fully see him. So then I started worrying, do you think the yotes got on him and did they tear him up and did we lose a bunch of meat? And uh, we walked up there and they did get on him, but they didn't eat nearly as much as I was worried they might've, they, they kind of ate a little bit of the back, um, rump of him. But that was it. So it could have been, certainly could have been worse. Um, and it was just a huge, huge relief to walk up on there. And he was just a beautiful, mature buck. Definitely, you know, four or five years old. And uh, seven points on one side, six on the other. A, a typical seven by six, 13-pointer. Never have I shot a 13-point typical buck before. So Yeah, was... how often do you see that? I mean, it was like, it was just a picket fence of perfect tines. I mean, he was incredible. Yeah. He was one of the coolest deer, you know, I've seen like on a trip like this. I mean, he was just, he was awesome. I mean, yeah. so unique. You, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be able to duplicate a buck like that, you know, in a hundred years. No, you don't see many deer um, no. that have seven points on a side like that. Just straight, typical, nice yeah. tines. Uh, just a beautiful, beautiful animal. Big old chunky head on him, dark forehead. Um, I mean, I just could not have been happier the way it turned out. And, you know, when we when we came back afterwards, um, I was kind of talking about, you know, how there was a lot of decisions that I made on that hunt. Like it was a it was a quick, you know, it was, it was the first day. But there's a lot of things that happened that first day that I was like really proud of, like decisions I made um, that led to this that I, you know, that I can see that 10 years ago, I wouldn't have made these decisions. So it was kind of indicative of progress that I've made, um, that I was really proud of, you know, the decision to, you know, try to sneak in and scout this area and, and pick this area. This is like the area I wanted to hunt. And that was a good decision. The fact that when I saw that, uh, first buck that I made a move on him and then didn't get it done, but learned something from it that led me to say, okay, I need to hunt this spot now because of that. Um, that was a good decision that I was proud of. Um, 
you know, the decisions on when to call and how to call and how I was able to do that. That was those are decisions that in the past maybe I wouldn't have made the right way. That worked out. I was proud of that. Um, being able to get a shot even without a blind, blind while on the ground, um, even though that shot didn't end up being perfect, I was I was proud to have been able to you know have that opportunity. So all those things are things that made me feel pretty good that I'd made progress as a hunter, that I'm doing things the right way, learning things, getting better. Um, but at the end of the day, there's, I, I said this to you, I was like, there's a whole hell of a lot of luck in this one too, you know, <laughs> to be able to, to, for that deer to be there on the first day in the first spot that I was checking out. Um, so I was really proud of how things went. And then I was also just very, very thankful for that luck though, that it all kind of went my way. Um, cause there's some years where you make a lot of good decisions and you don't have that luck and it doesn't go, uh, the way you want it to. So, yeah. Hey, I want to tell you too, like, um, you know, you were, you felt kind of proud that you made these decisions and, um, you know, calling that deer in and after, you know, after my attempt at calling my buck and he took off like a bat out of hell, I, I felt pretty, uh, <laughs> pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Must've been I was user like, oh, error. Man, these, these bucks are, uh, easy to call in and, you know, my attempt, uh, had the exact opposite effect. So, uh, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that, Andy. <laughs> oh man. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, you know, I got lucky. Uh, I'm not gonna complain about that though. And, um, it was just so cool how it all came together, how unique it was. And then another cool thing about it is that because we were so far away from the truck, um, we decided, you know what, let's just quarter him out. Um, that buck I killed in Montana earlier this year, I was so ingrained in like Midwestern whitetail mode that I thought oh, I gotta just gut him and drag him out. And it was a bear to do that. So this time around I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to pack this sucker out. And you fortunately had game bags. Um, but they're back in the truck. So you decided you were going to hike all the way back to the truck and get the game bags while I worked on quartering him out and skinning him out. And then hopefully by the time that you got back, I'd be almost done. Um, and so that's basically what happened. But you actually were able to maneuver the truck closer so that we didn't have nearly as bad of a hike. So that was nice. Um, and we got them all quartered out, skinned out, and packed up on our backpacks and hiked out of there with them and, and had a had a not too long of a hike, a little bit of a steep hike, but um, definitely nicer doing it in the backpack than dragging them up there probably. Um, yeah. And so I, cool. I uh, you know, I should probably add, I – um, quickly into this hunt, I started having some, I, I suffer from some pretty significant back issues, but normally with exercise and, and some medication, I, you know, I kind of keep it controlled somewhat, but I was having some pretty significant nerve pain that started on day two and started increasing rapidly. It was kind of shooting down my leg into my foot and it was rather painful. So I, I never said this to you, but I was actually terrified to drag that deer. I'd much rather put it on my back and really? try to, yeah. Um, I've had this issue before a few years ago and, um, it's a, it's a nightmare. So I was, I was kind of in panic mode. Um, and I was able to, you know, obviously get home and, and take some medicine and it's kind of starting to feel a lot better now, but I, I thought it was cool. Just the, you know, our whole hunt was like a backcountry whitetail hunt. I mean, yeah. there was no showers. We, you know, brought our own food in, um, and we, you know, we were hiking, you know, two plus miles to, to get to our spots. And it was just fitting to pack him out like that. It was, it just made the whole story that much cooler, I think. Yeah. The first time I've ever done that with a whitetail. And, uh, like you said, just, just a cool way to wrap up my portion of that experience. Um, so yeah, so we, we got him out and 
I headed, I decided to drive back to town to try to get more ice for my cooler because I had enough ice to to get him. So what we did is we got him back to camp and then we did like a really rough butcher, like just basically chunked out as much of the meat as we could, get it in the cooler and put the ice that I had on it. Um, but I wanted to get more ice and then I also wanted to make sure that the cape and the head um, could be preserved and, and not rotting out in the sun for the next three days. So I thought I'd drive to the nearest town, which is um, from where we were camped to that town was like two and a half hours. <laughs> um, but I was able to find a taxidermist that who could um, cape it and freeze it out or cape it out and freeze it. So that's what I did for the rest of the evening. You stuck it out and hunted. Um, walk us through what you did from there. Before we get to that, though, I want to take a quick second to thank our friends over at Whitetail Properties and plug one of their recent videos as we've been talking over the past few months. They've got this Land Beat video series over on the Whitetail Properties YouTube channel. It's definitely worth checking out, full of quick tips related to deer hunting, deer management, habitat management, uh, buying and selling properties, and if you're interested in the land management side of things, they have a recent video out talking about planting tree food plots. So actually trees that produce mast, soft mast, hard mast that can produce kind of like a food plot, but by, by planting these trees. So check it out. It is called Why You Should Plant Tree Food Plots for Better Deer Hunting. Of course, this isn't something you're going to do right now in the fall, but it's something to be thinking about as we move into the next year. Um, I'm already thinking about some of my ideas and plans for 2019. This is a great video to get you on that same path if you're thinking about some land management ideas. So check it out over at the Whitetail Properties YouTube channel and visit whitetailproperties.com for more information. Yeah, so um, I basically went um, down to the other side of the bowl where you had killed your deer. So further west, we, we that was kind of the trend after you killed. We just kept pushing further and further west. But um, I went and set up where I thought I could get a shot at that dark horned eight. Um, so I, I had marked on the Onyx maps when we were recovering your deer where I thought he kind of went up to bed. And then I hiked back in, uh, slowly snuck down um, through a little draw. And again, um, you know, our, our intention were to use the saddles, um, cause it's, we both love them and they're kind of ultimate in mobility, but in reality here, there are very few trees we could even get in. And the ones that you could get in a lot of times are right in the middle of those bowls. So I, I feel like deer would have seen you and they required an immense amount of trimming. So all of our hunts, every single one ended up from the ground. Um, and so what we did, what I did was I, I snuck down this draw. And then I tucked back up into these, this little cedar, like a little cubby, like you had before within, within shooting distance of where that buck had been feeding uh, earlier that morning. And when I got all set up, you know, I'm kind of getting all squared away and I looked down on my chest, no binoculars and no rangefinder. And I live and die by those. I'm a glasser. I love glassing. They've, uh, you know, they have been, uh, they've helped me kill lots of animals, identify, you know, bucks to see if they're big enough to go after a long ways away. And my rangefinder, you know, I, 30 yards and in, sure, I can estimate and be pretty deadly. Beyond that, I don't practice that as much as I should. I will now after I tell you the rest of the story, but I don't feel comfortable shooting past 30 without a rangefinder. I just don't, I'm not good enough at it. You know, if you're five, six, seven yards off, you know, once you get out to like 40 yards, that's, that's a wounded or missed animal. So, um, 
I felt kind of naked, but um, I, I estimated where 20 was. I estimated where 30, uh, 30 was, and I was like, you know what? A million deer are killed within 30 yards every year, so no biggie. And uh, so I'm sitting there, and, you know, uh, the evening's progressing, and I hear down by the river, I hear something scraping. And I'm like, oh, man, there's a buck right down there. I couldn't see him yet. And then here he comes, pops up right in front of me, and it's that eight. And he comes right to that same exact spot, right where we thought we could kill him. And he's right there broadside, feeding, without a care in the world. And he's at 40, 45, 49, wasn't sure. Within my shooting range, I was very comfortable with that shot, but I didn't know. And um, I was like, you got to be kidding me. You know, so I'm just hoping he's going to come closer. Um, And he doesn't. So, uh, he ends up kind of feeding off to my left. It's getting a little farther now so that I'm like, okay, you know, I'm okay with letting this deer go, but I'm going to try to call him in. But I want, I didn't want to call him when he was in view of me. So I was going to let him get out of sight so that he would have to come investigate. He, I didn't want him to be able to see where the call was coming from, but keep in mind, this is the deer that, you know, is probably the most call shy deer on in the United States. He, <laughs> He goes, he goes down and into these cedars and I can just kind of see the top of his back, but he's out of view. And I just give a real soft grunt to my right, trying to sound like I was far away and boom, he just takes off. <laughs> he's gone. <laughs> so I, I think your buck, the buck you killed had kicked his butt a few times or yeah, something, must but be. he was, yeah, he was a one scared animal. But, uh, so, you know, been hunting a long time. I forget things, never have forgotten my rangefinder, And it, it cost me, it ended up costing me, uh, you know, that deer and uh, ultimately the success on this trip. Um, so it's okay. Um, I, I didn't beat myself up about it too bad. Um, I was okay with that. That deer was very nice. I would have been super proud, but I had had a a good season already. I didn't feel overwhelming pressure to get a deer on this trip. And to be honest with you, when you shot your deer, I felt really successful. Um, I was hoping to, to get one out of this trip on such a short, time frame and uh i felt really good about it yeah but you 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 were kind of kicking yourself a little bit you're like gosh that you know as a as an experienced seasoned hunter to do that um and then you did say mistake yeah rookie mistake and then you did say that one big thing that this made you think about that you want to do more is is work on really nailing down accurately estimating ranges with your eyeball without a rangefinder right yeah yeah i mean there's there's 3d shooters that that can do it um and I'm always been more of like a known yardage guy. You know, if I know the yardage, you know, I can hit the center. Um, but you get me out past 30 yards, you know, I'm not reliable. Um, but you know, I feel like I should be able to do that. I still want to range everything I'm going to shoot at, but there might be a scenario when you have to make that quick decision and still within your effective range. I certainly could improve on yardage estimation and definitely going to work on it. Yeah. And something related to this that you brought up actually on our car drive home, I thought was pretty telling and kind of while we were on this hunt, unbeknownst to you, I was kind of analyzing like how you do things and, and why you did things and trying to understand your thought process just, you know, cause you're obviously very, very successful. I've, I've kind of looked up to you for a long time and learned a lot from you, but I wanted to see it in person and, and kind of see, you know, what I could take away from that. And one of the things I really noticed is just your level of, of thoughtfulness about everything and, um, and the, the the degree of analysis that you go through 
from when it comes to any decision or when something happens, thinking back on why did that happen? How did it happen? What do I take from that situation? And you told me when we were driving home that you document all of your hunts. You've done it since like, I don't know, how long have you done it? 20 years or 15 years or something like that? Yeah, 1997 you... was the first year I did. Wow. So you document all the deer sightings and, and hunts and everything you've learned. But then something I thought was really interesting was every shot opportunity you have a buck. So if you if you kill the buck or you miss the buck or you had a shot and it just didn't quite happen, you document each single one of those instances and you write out the, well, rather than me tell, tell me how you do that. Um, tell us how you do that because I thought it was really interesting what you do and how you use this as a way to learn from each one of those opportunities. Yeah, so it's basically just a little short story of what happened. So let's say I kill a buck and I'll, I'll you know, jot down, you know, what the deer did. Um, the way he was moving, what, what did I think he was doing, the way he was traveling, time of year, all this kind of stuff, basically lay, a big layout of the story. When I'm successful, you know, at the end of that, I will kind of highlight three or four things that I did right that helped me be successful and just things to really kind of focus on. This, this is what you did right. This was a learning experience. You, you did these right, so these, these things are good. Um, when I miss an animal which I have missed, um, I do the same thing. I write out the story. That was an opportunity. That was a buck that should have been mine, um, you know, and I made a mistake. Now, what was my mistake? Did I draw too early? Did, was I overaggressive in calling? Was he too alert at the distance he was? Um, you know, was, was the, the way my tree stand was positioned, was I sticking out like a blob and he, he picked me out? It could be a number of things. Um, but I will write down what I thought cost me that hunt, the thing that cost me that deer. Um, and the same thing when a shot isn't presented or isn't pre presented, but it should have been, um, you know, something that I did that if I wouldn't have done this or if I would have done this differently, I would have had the, the shot opportunity. So basically, you know, my whole thing is um, I want to constantly improve and to do that. Uh, you know, I, I have a drive inside of me to constantly improve, but to do that, you have to make mistakes and then you have to learn from them and eliminate them. So that's kind of my, my thought process when I do this, I try to, I'm okay with making mistakes, but I don't want to make them twice. Um, you know, I want to eliminate those. And when you eliminate them, you know, you start eliminating all the mistakes you've made over the years, you start to make very few. Um, you know, and then things just come together, you know, and kind of going back to what you said earlier, Mark, like you, you said there was some luck involved and I don't, I don't think so. I think some people might say, oh man, you're so lucky he was bedded there. We had those spots picked out. That's where, that's where a, a mature buck would bed. If he was bedded in this river bottom, we, we made the right call. We figure that out in a matter of hours and you were on a five-year-old deer in territory you've never been on. That's not luck. That's picking it out on a map, having the instinct to slow down, having your wits about you to see that other deer, you know, some guys might not even have been paying attention, um, and walked right by that opening, went down there and bumped him, but you were attentive enough to see that. And then you almost caught, you almost got that deer, but you had enough, uh, you know, instinct to kind of slow down and say, you know what? Hey, if that deer did this, there might be more here. You know, this looks like a good spot where I can you know, tuck in here without making any noise. I haven't bumped anything and maybe something else will, will come by. I can see a long ways. I'll be able to at the very least observe. And 
that was one of the, the biggest betting features to the West that we saw. That one, the next one, and the next one to the West were probably the top three. And, I mean, it just you, you picked the right one. So that's not luck. Uh, you know, that that's skill, my friend. That You did everything right there. Uh, I appreciate you saying that. Um, it was, uh, you know, like we talked about it, coming into it with a challenge that we realized we had, you know, we knew it was going to be a challenge. And then once day one started, they're like, oh, man, this is going to be even more of a challenge. Um, having it all work out the way it did was very gratifying. And it's you and me talked about this a lot in the trip, too, about we love hunting. We love all aspects of hunting, but something that we in particular really enjoy is that chess match, the figuring it out. And we both talked about different examples where we've had some spots where we figured it out and it's a great spot, but we figured it out. And then once we had it kind of figured out, we weren't quite as drawn to hunt there anymore. You know, um, like I've had like this, this spot in Montana that I've hunted the last couple of years. I kind of like, you know, it's, it's awesome. I've got it like pegged now. I don't know if I'm so interested in hunting there again next year. Um, because there's not that challenge of like, what do I do? I love having to go into this new area and, and start from the bottom and build your way up and learn and understand. And, and, uh, that puzzle is, is so fascinating to me and, and being able to put those pieces together on this trip, um, was particularly interesting given all the other unique circumstances. So it was, man, it was one of the very most rewarding hunts that I've been on, um, but I guess we, we still haven't finished everything that happened for you. So you had this missed opportunity with uh, with old mossy horns, as I like to call them. And um, so you didn't have the rangefinder. And now we have like a day and a half left. What was your what was your mindset, thought process, and, and plan for how to move on and kind of wrap up the trip? How were you approaching it? What did you do? Yeah. Well, if you remember, that was probably my lowest point in the trip because I was having some really significant pain uh, yeah. then. And luckily, you had uh, some pain meds, and that kind of took the edge off. So... Um, you know, we toughed it out and day three, we tried something a little different in the cattle area. Um, I was, my leg was a little questionable. There was a very nice, uh, oxbow that had an abnormal amount of, of cover. And our goal, our, our plan was to sneak in there right to that back end of that oxbow in the dark, well before daylight, and then just let deer filter in. Now we were a little worried that the cattle might, uh, you know, keep the deer out, but it was, I think it was worth a try because we weren't feeling real strong going in blind, you know, two and a half miles to the next bowl in the dark and picking the right spot. So I think that was going to be more of the evening plan. Um, but anyway, we snuck in there and little did we know we were going to have all the turkeys in the world roosted above us, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was, it was, it was awesome. pretty cool. There was a bunch of Miriam's, uh, you know, roosted above us and, uh, they're making all kinds of rackets. So that in itself made it a really cool morning. Saw a couple does, had a couple does coming into bed, bumped one. Another one came in within 50 yards of us and bedded down, and then she disappeared. I'm not sure. But we sat there for a while, uh, tried some calling unsuccessfully, and then we kind of we snuck through the edge of cover, kind of working west, um, just trying to, you know, at a snail's pace, always on the glass, sneaking through on the ground, just trying to get visual of a shooter buck on his feet. It was great deer habitat, but it was full of cows. Yeah. Um, it was pastured to death, cow tracks everywhere, no deer tracks, um, no scrapes under, you know, 
uh, over overhanging branches, which you would expect to be, you know, really heavy this time of year. So we kind of got the impression that there weren't a lot of deer in there. And then it was funny because the minute we started seeing a few deer tracks, we bumped two does, two or three does. Um, and then that was the end of the morning. We kind of called it a morning, went back and kind of regrouped for the evening hunt. Yeah. And like you said, that evening hunt, the plan was to continue the progression down those bowls, go into the next one to the West. Um, and that one looked pretty darn good, didn't it? Yeah, that was cool. In fact, it looked a lot like the bowl, uh, where you killed yours. It had the same, we get, we snuck in there. It had the same little bit of cover down by the actual river bend tip in the oxbow. It had the bench, the, 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 the first bench and then the secondary bench that had real thick cedars. And then again, down in that shaded area that gets the most shade, holds the most moisture. There's some green there. It's very little. It looks like a little, you know, quarter acre food plot of just grass. And sure enough, just like all the other bowls that we saw, the first deer dipped down out of those cedars, bedded very close, probably can see where they're eating. Uh, a group of does ducks down into that green and starts feeding. And, you know, there's two things that deer can do. They can go away from us on the outside bend and it pinches down over there. But because we had a Western wind, we were on the East side. And if they come our way, it pinches down close to the river. So they'd come within range of us. We had a, just a really neat spot on, on, on the backside of a down tree. And, um, it, uh, an incredible wind front blew in, um, real high winds, probably 35 mile an hour plus. Oh, it was blowing. <laughs> yeah. And swirl and it started making everything swirl. And then you spotted, uh, what we thought was a, a nice buck and it was a nice buck. It was just probably a two year old. Yeah. But he, he's coming down the ridge, coming down towards that green stuff, sneaking down real slow. And we didn't get a great look at him. We were kind of hoping he was going to be a little bigger than he ended up being, but we had a really neat encounter. Um, he came down, came down into the bowl, and the wind was swirling so bad, I think that he picked us up. But the way the wind was going, it was whipping all directions. He was confused. He didn't know where, where he wanted to go. He didn't know where we were. But he knew something was not right. And it was probably because we were at day three of day four of no showers. You know, <laughs> yeah. we weren't smelling too great. But um, anyway, we had a really cool encounter. He started working our way at a pretty fast pace. And, and I believe he got this all on film. But he gets within bow range. And I kind of mimic draw draw the bow back on him. And he has no clue. And he ends up five, five yards in front of us and has no idea we're there. It was a really neat encounter um on a, on a pretty nice little eight point yeah that was cool i mean it's super close just right there yeah. and and then we're looking at you like oh that's exactly what we wanted a buck to do exactly what we thought it would do in this scenario we just yeah. needed one uh a little older a little bigger <laughs> yep 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 so uh the rest of the night uh was pretty uneventful that was probably you know 30 minutes after that made so, the long hike back right yeah, we saw that badger. That was cool. Oh, yeah, a badger. Badger came right up. We got a little video of that. I had never seen one, so I was pretty pumped about that. Um, and then day four, um, we we decided that we were going to pull out a half a day early. I was going to hunt the morning. Um, you know, I was kind of pushing it with a day from work. My leg was giving me trouble. You're, you had a sick kid at home. You know, I, 
I felt very fulfilled on this trip. You felt very fulfilled. I was okay with hunting the morning. The morning looked like it was going to be really nice and then it was going to kind of get windy. And so I was good with one more morning sit. I thought I had a, a good chance to kill that dark horned eight again. And, uh, so I decided to go and you hung back and, uh, cleaned up camp. So made the track back, you know, about two miles again and got into the original spot where I had a chance at him without my rangefinder. snuck in at first daylight or right before daylight and got all set up. And it was the coldest morning. There was frost. I mean, it was just, just gorgeous. And then, uh, calm and it starts getting light, you know, it's light for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. And to my right, kind of back by where your deer died, I hear two bucks sparring, not a, like a full blown out fight, but they're, they're going at it a little bit and it sounds like two big antlers. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, here we go. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, and it, it, in reality, I think I, my, my mind made them, you know, both bigger than what they were. I was thinking like that big eight that you saw and some other giant that we didn't know was there, but all of a sudden here it comes the same dark horn eight comes running right at me. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, I know like you got the truck packed up and we're ready to go. And I'm thinking if this deer's running, like what's who just kicked his butt, you know? So I'm thinking, you know, there's a bigger buck behind. So I, I got my release on I'm, I'm like kind of starting to draw back and I'm like, he stops and he looks behind and I'm like, Oh my gosh, the other one's following him. So he ends up kind of trotting past me and in range though, right? In range. Yeah. In range. I knew the range. He was, he was within 37 yard. He hit the, hit the trail at 37. Um, and I, and I was completely okay with letting that deer go. Um, even, even if this other deer wasn't following him, but I was pretty pumped because I thought the deer following him was going to be that big, that bigger eight. And all of a sudden here, here comes a deer. I see him coming around the corner. The sun's kind of over there. So it's like kind of blinding me. And I, I look through the glass and it's actually a smaller eight. <laughs> I'm like, what? Uh. Like, seriously? So, uh, so he comes still probably a two year old, you know, maybe 90 inches or something like that. And, uh, he comes by and kind of dips down into the river and, uh, that ended up, ended up being it. I thought maybe there was a, another buck over there. So I tried a little rattling sequence and sat for another couple hours and, uh, you know, nothing happened. So decided to pack it up and made the hike back and, and that was it. And that was it. And, uh, man, I know that, uh, I know that you got to bounce here quick, so I don't want to keep you any longer, but this was such a, even though it was a short hunt, even though it was challenging hunt, it was, it was, it was a really fulfilling and fun hunt for me. And, um, I appreciate you, uh, let me tag along with you and, and get to hunt this property that, that you got permission on. So I know that's a big, um, a big part of all this was the fact that you got permission. So thank you for that. And for sharing that permission with me and, um, any like final takeaways or anything else that you think are worth sharing before we shut this one down? Well, yeah. Why don't you tell, why don't you, uh, why don't you give a, um, one or two things that you learned from, you know, maybe someone else going on a hunt like this, that somewhere they've never been, um, and they run into some issues. Like what are some things that you took away and then, and then I'll give a couple. Yeah. Well, I think, I think on a trip like this where you're going to a new place and you're on a short kind of time frame, I've definitely realized more and more that you need to, you need to take calculated risks and be able to adjust based off of those. 
Um, so that said, you know, coming into this one, we had all these assumptions. We had all these things we thought were going to be present. And I thought, oh, I know exactly how we're going to hunt this. Uh, but when we got there, totally different. So right away, like on that day, when we realized it was totally different, you and me, multiple times we talked about, well, maybe we should try this. Yeah, we usually wouldn't do this. This is aggressive. This is crazy, but we kind of need to do that. And there were several different things we talked about that we had to be more aggressive, take calculated risks, because you need to quickly learn things and quickly adjust to those lessons um, on a short time frame hunt like this. So examples of us doing that were, for example, after we glassed all over the place and didn't see the deer we wanted to see, we thought, all right, we need to push into this a little bit and actually visibly see some of this cover ourselves. So we walked into the edges of some got close to some bedding stuff, got on our feet, checked the river crossings, walked along that edge where we thought there should be scrapes, got up tight to the river where we thought there'd be some bedding on that other side and checked it all out. Um, that was a little risky. Like we could have bumped stuff, but yeah. I thought we needed to get feet on the ground in that spot to, to verify our, is this really as poor as we think it is based off the glassing or do we need to spend some more time there? So we made a calculated risk. We learned that no, it does not look like there's the kind of activity we need that we thought we'd have here. And then we said, okay, we're going to cross off the map fast. We don't have time to dilly-dally in places where we just don't think it's going to happen. So we crossed off that whole section, and then we said, all right, what's next? How do we adjust? We looked at those maps, and we had those spots that, you, that we talked about, the bowls that we'd marked. They were, they looked great, but they were so far away. We were hoping we'd be able to hunt some of the stuff that was closer. Um, mm -hmm. But we, when we, we made this risk, we learned something. We said, okay, we, we're going to have to push to these bowls because that's probably where the cattle won't be. And so then our next calculated risk was the fact that we were willing to, you know, push all the way up in there and, um, you know, get into that bedding, get tight to bedding. So I think that my big takeaway on this type of deal is, is when you need to get a little bit aggressive to learn something and then be able to quickly act according to what you learned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if we would have, now if we would have pre-scouted this place and had stands, you know, pre-trimmed and hung, um, that would probably be ideal, right? Especially yeah, if it yeah. was a little bit, bit later in the rut, but on a short term and, and we were having trouble, just, we needed to find deer. Um, so, you know, sometimes like, especially in a situation like this, we had five miles of river ground essentially to hunt, but we found deer in very small portions of that. Very small, yeah. you know, t t I don't know, 20 acres or more. Yeah. Um, a little, little pockets uh, or, or less, I mean, 20 acre, little pocket here, go down a little, you know, little pockets. So we really, we needed to observe, we needed to find deer sign. And, and in this situation in particular, deer sign was everything. When we started seeing tracks, that was everything. We started finding some, some scrapes. And once you killed your deer, once we got down there along that river, there was quite a few scrapes getting opened up. You saw your buck making scrapes. So just sneaking in and being aggressive and getting where the deer were, um, because there was a lot of great looking spots between where we camped and where we eventually found a deer that would probably be amazing, uh, other times of the year. Yeah. You know, well, you know, when they're, when they're really rutting and the deer are moving, but it was low deer numbers, so we just needed to find them, and we needed, like you said, need to be aggressive. Short, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of uh, time, so just sit back and observe. We did do that somewhat the first day, but after that, we kind of needed to start diving in close, and uh, so close that, you know, it was almost essential to hunt from the ground because we couldn't make racket. We were a lot of times we were within a hundred yards of 
of deer. And, uh, you know, though, just the way these trees were, if there even was a tree to get in, um, most of them required probably a hundred branches trimmed. I mean, it was, I mean, it would have been, uh, it would have been a, a couple hour job, I think, yeah, we you know, so couldn't have pulled it off. Yeah. So yeah, those are my big takeaways too. be aggressive. And if you're, you're in an area with low deer density, got to find the deer sign, you know, and, uh, in a low deer density, there's still going to be a few bucks that are, that are older and then, you know, they're going to be in there and then know what you implement, what you know about buck bedding, you know, and those river bends and, and where bucks like to bend in that bed in that type of terrain or habitat, depending on where you're at, you know, and that can really shorten, uh, you know, shorten the cycle of figuring something out, uh, you know, on a short term hunt. Yeah. I always think of those bedding areas as the hub of the wheel. Like it's the very most important piece of the puzzle. Cause if you know the hub of the wheel, all the other things that those deer do, they radiate off of that hub, like spokes coming off of that wheel. Um, so that's always a really important place to start the learning process. All the other pieces can fall into place after that. Um, so I think that was, like you said, that was key to our success. So yeah. And identifying the missing link in this area, what was the missing link? Anything anything green everything was so dried out and barren yeah um when you found green deer were smashing it yeah yeah you know there wasn't a lot of deer because there just aren't very high deer numbers but that's where they were going they were going to those spots yep the, the two or three deer you'd see would be on that so yeah yeah well my friend it was a lot of fun it was a cool hunt and um i'm glad we got to do it yeah me too thanks for coming and uh it's a, a hunt i'll always remember um i think you're doing some great things for hunting. Um, so I was really honored and proud to be able to share a hunt with you and hope, hopefully we can do it again someday. Thanks man. I appreciate that. And yes, let's definitely plan on, uh, let's plan on a part two either there or somewhere in the future. So, uh, with that, let's wrap it up and hopefully you and me can have some continued success in Michigan, right? That's right. Yeah. We both, uh, hopefully have a nice one to go after and maybe we'll get one in the next week or two. Fingers crossed. And that's a wrap, folks. So thank you for joining us for this one. Hopefully you've got a lot of tree stand in the near future coming up here. November, it's about it's about upon us. Probably when you're listening to this, it is November, actually. So November is upon us, and that is a beautiful thing. So good luck out there. Remember to stay mentally tough. Push through the adversity. There's going to be challenges just like me and Andy faced. But if you keep pushing, if you learn, if you adjust, good things can still happen. So... That is the game plan for myself. I'm sure that's going to be the game plan for all of you. Shoot straight, have a great rut, and we will see you next time. And until then, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. 
hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.